Today's episode is brought to you by Stream by AlphaSense, an expert interview transcript library that integrates AI-generated call summaries and NLP search technology so their clients can quickly pinpoint the most critical insights. Start your free trial at www.streamrg.co backslash PMC. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G.co slash PMC. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Welcome to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft, and thank you all so much for the support and for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe to our recently launched Substack, the Planet Microcap Newsletter, for free at microcapnewsletter.substack.com. I'll be sharing all recent podcast episodes from Planet Microcap and Due Diligence. Plus, every Sunday, I put out our weekly microcap wrap to show how the microcap space has performed every week compared to the broader markets based on data from the Microcap Review Index. Uh, Go and check it out right now. We have reconstituted for Q3. Fascinating quarter. Uh, We'll be doing a pod very, very soon to uh, talk with some uh, fellow microcappers on uh, how uh, interesting this quarter was or <laughs> first half year. Um, so uh, definitely tune in for that and also go and check out some of the data. It's definitely fascinating and interesting to see what companies make it in uh, each quarter or not. Um, so again, to subscribe, go to microcapnewsletter.substack.com. Now for this episode of the Planet Microcap podcast, I spoke with Tim Erickson, founder and portfolio manager at Cedar Creek Partners. Uh, We're continuing this uh, Tim Erickson week here on Planet Microcap. So be sure to actually check out our interview uh, talking about Solitron devices, uh, SODI on the OTC, where Tim is the CEO. We did that interview uh, for due diligence, but it's on the same stream. In addition to being CEO of a publicly traded company, Tim runs Cedar Creek Partners that focuses on micro and small cap equities. We answer all your questions that came through on Twitter. Thank you for sending those in, by the way. And as the title suggests, uh, making a business grow is not easy. Uh, Tim has no fear taking larger positions in microcap stocks and enacting change to hopefully unlock value for shareholders, which can be difficult at, at any level. Um, we talk about a couple of those experiences, including FarmChem and Tix Corporation, as well as liquidity, position sizing, and much more. Tim doesn't do a lot of these, so this was really uh, it was really awesome that he took so much time with me this week. So thank you again for tuning in to episode 233 of the Planet Microcap podcast, and please enjoy my conversation with Tim Erickson. This episode is brought to you by Stream by AlphaSense. You can find them at streamrg.co backslash PMC. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G.co backslash PMC. Stream is an expert interview transcript library that is starting to become an integral part to investors' research process. They have a number of interviews on a wide variety of companies, including TMT, consumers, industrials, real estate, and more. Stream provides over 300 expert interviews per week, and 70% of their experts are found exclusively on Stream. 
Stream is unlike any other transcript libraries. Stream integrates AI-generated call summaries and NLP search technology so their clients can quickly pinpoint the most critical insights. Stream's community of experts and thought leaders partner with Stream to build their professional brands and expand their industry influence. Right now, there are approximately 8,500 plus call transcripts available. For more information, please visit www.streamrg.co backslash PMC. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G.co backslash PMC. Welcome back, everyone, to the Planet Microcap podcast. My name is Robert Kraft. You can follow me on Twitter at Bobby K. Kraft. That's B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T. And we are continuing the Tim Erickson week here uh, <laughs> at Planet Microcap. I'm sorry. I don't mean to embarrass you. I can't help myself. Um, but uh, joining me today uh, to to dig through his investing philosophy, how he assesses new investments, just the, everything that we probably should have covered uh, at some point already in Planet Microcaps history, but I'm excited that we're doing it finally, uh, which is why we're having the Tim Erickson week. But uh, joining me is Tim Erickson, founder and portfolio manager at Cedar Creek Partners. Tim, thank you for joining me today. How are you doing? <laughs> My pleasure. I'm doing good. <laughs> good stuff. Um, so I, I, we we actually uh, just published yesterday uh, the interview that we did together uh, about uh, Solatron Devices, where you are a uh, part-time CEO there and kind of dug into the story a little bit. So today I wanted to provide everybody that, like I said, that overview of your background, investing philosophy, all that good stuff. So my, my first question on here that I always ask is, you know, where, where did your passion for investing begin? Um, for me, it was during my undergrad. Um, there, I took a class on money and banking, um, and there was like it wasn't the smallest class I think I ever took. It was like four students. It was at a small school, but the prof was brought in, and, and uh, he was a deep value guy. It was well, I'm going to age myself, but it was you know 1990 91 era. So the, the the California banks and like Wells Fargo were struggling and different things, and that's when Buffett was investing. But just really brought this value perspective on things and and um and really that was kind of when the light bulb came on for me and in terms of all the value investing and and really start reading buffett and and all of that so that kind of clicked the passion for it and the approach and then it took a number of years for that to kind of have any realization um because i was already nearly graduated with a history and poli sci degree um, waited a few years. I did work for Franklin Templeton Funds, but it was nothing related to investing. It was, you know, like shareholder services and explaining maybe a fund. And it's like, yeah, but this this is nothing. I'm not enjoying this, you know. And uh, then got an MBA and thought, oh, I can just kind of get onto Wall Street or get at a firm. And I realized I don't want to live in Wall Street. I was married. I had a, a one or two year old. I'm like, I'm not going to New York City with two year old. No offense to those who live there, but it was like, so now I got to try to do it, you know, some other way. And just said, well, I got to provide for my family first. So then I did that and, and uh, ended up long path before I came across Marketocracy, which was a online virtual portfolio thing that was in the late 90s. Um, started doing that in, in the two, early 2000s and just became one of their top virtual portfolios, which they then mimicked for a hedge fund and mutual fund. And then they put articles out that I wrote or about uh, me and other people that were in there in their small group and kind of helped me get more of a, a following and then deciding to uh, work for Walker's Manual, which was then next. I left the corporate world and worked for Walker's Manual, which was just awesome. I mean, here's a, 
you don't see it. They haven't been published in 10 or 15 years, but the, in the deep value community, these old manuals that, that from the late 90s and early 2000s that covered unlisted stocks and community banks and microcap stocks is like, they're like a hundred bucks to buy used today because people will still pull them out and half the companies are still around or, um, and it's just kind of fascinating era, you know, segments of the market that, you know, you don't, you don't see in the newspaper. You're not going to see on, on CNBC. They're not going to talk about community banks. They're not going to talk about party resources, this family run business in Philly for a hundred and some years or beaver coal or something that that was going to talk about, um, you know, this pre really pre-internet days, which kind of killed it. So now that, that, that kind of got me going. And then we ended up decided to start a fund launched with $150,000. It was one of the smallest hedge fund launches ever. Uh, I don't, you know, but anyways, got to where I am today. It's not that I'm a, a huge fund manager, but I, I love what I do. And, you know, I'm sitting here in shorts, which you can't see. And normally I probably wouldn't have showered yet because I just get up <laughs> and go to work, you know, it's just down the hall. So that's my normal day. And, and I love it. Good stuff, man. Me too. You know, I, I, I only showered today for you. You know, I, I figured we're going to put this on YouTube. I got to I gotta keep up some kind of appearances. Yeah, it's the same uh, shirt for me as the other interview. It tells yeah, you family nice shirt. Yeah. <laughs> we don't change our shirts. It's, it's yeah. just it's just like, the, you know, we, we put right in. But, um, but what, you know, and this is a, a similar story, you know, people get, you know, especially when their first exposure to investing is more on the value side, especially on the micro cap side of things everybody, it's like all roads eventually end up leading there. You know, was it a similar thing for you? It's like, once you got like, okay, this makes sense. Value must be deep value. Is that when the, the rabbit hole started going and like, okay, microcaps clearly makes the most sense. Yeah. I don't know what triggered that, you know, or exactly when in that process, but there, yeah, I don't know. There's just some side of me that just got fascinated and since feeling like I'm I know something that nobody else does. I mean, it, that it's an informational advantage that's legal, of course, um, but it's just, you know, it's like, why am I trying to compete against, you know, hundreds or thousands of people or try to figure out Apple or Microsoft? And it's like, I can understand this business in, in minutes to hours, not days. And um, maybe, maybe there was a laziness side too. I don't know. But just the beauty of the simplicity um, and then the valuations were attractive. I mean, that's usually what gets you there. They, they tend to be because of their small size. And, and, and there's a certain risk, but I don't think the risk is disproportionately greater that justifies the smaller valuations. So. I, I guess I should have asked that more nuance of what eventually led you to the unlisted stuff? <laughs> How'd you get there? That's, that's the question. Yeah. You just keep migrating, I think. No, it, you know, it, it's like the person who keeps tanning too much. You know, they don't realize it before they know they're 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 way out there and they're you know they're orange um, <laughs> and president. No, um, you know, it's just they don't realize it. No, I, it it is. It, it's yeah. Expert market though is is at an extreme end where it does it start. You know, for me, it, you're at the the uncomfortable because you're nearly private. You know, and and that's not, not so ideal. You, you have to have a, you know, you have to have a good, good margin of safety or a really much lower valuation to justify it to me. There's, there is a value to liquidity. We don't, we don't want everybody just rushing in thinking this is the same. It's not the same, you know, um, you got to be willing to go, hmm, nothing happens for five years. I'm fine with that, you know, or 10 years, you know, 20 maybe, but <laughs> 
So then, so then, you know, all roads led to then founding Cedar Creek Partners, as you mm-hmm. said, is the, the, you know, the, the potentially the smallest hedge fund launch <laughs> in the history of hedge fund launches, uh, 150K. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so tell us a little bit about that, you know, why you eventually wanted to f- found it. And then also some, your, the philosophy uh, behind Cedar Creek. Yeah, I mean, it, it came about, I, I was working at Walker's Manual and, and Andrew Berger, who runs it, he, and he now started AB Value and, and does some, you know, has a good size fund, way bigger than mine. Um, but he was like, hey, I want to start a hedge fund. Do you want to work for me? And I was just kind of, I, I kind of want to do it myself, I thought, you know, and this, this can't be that hard to raise money. And it, this was extremely hard for me to raise money and still is. But um, but regardless, you know, it was, it was really easy to just apply that, um, approach which really is a, is a value approach for me is 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 a a low pe occasionally a book value approach but i tend to like i, I don't like businesses that are losing money no matter what the discount to the book value is because i tend to make errors on on how much they're losing and how long they may be losing it and things like that so it's like i've always been kind of a low price to earnings uh, investor um you know, predominantly single digits, you know, when I say low, I mean low, you know, I don't mean like, oh, it's only 15 times earnings, you know, or 12 times 2027 earnings, whatever that supposedly means, you know, Um, yeah, I I tend to spend a lot of time, you know, most of the fund's history looking for five or six times earnings, selling at nine or 10 times earnings and and wash, rinse, repeat, Um, you know, so cycling back through the same stocks a lot. Um, So it's, yeah, very micro cap, very deep value, but in the sense of low earnings, not not low price to book, and, and and calculating what's the real estate worth, because those are those are hard things to to turn into cash. And so I'm really, I guess, when you push it through as a cash flow investor, I want the earnings and I want them to be free cash flow, much more likely to have a positive outcome because they have to then be burning that cash for me to turn out bad. If they give it as a dividend, buyback stock, just sit on it even, which isn't ideal, but that's better than you know, investing it and losing it in something speculative. Absolutely. Well, this actually perfect transition into my next question is, you know, what, what is that ideal investment look like to you? Some of your criteria for, for, for that. A decent enough liquidity. I can get a good size position because I don't mind owning 10, 15, 20% position. Um, give me a low earnings multiple for, you know, single digits. Um, ideally, it's like, well, I'll, I'll take the growth. Ideally, you know, I want something that, that's growing as well, because um, that's what's going to give you that rare, you know, 5, 10x return in a short period of time is, is the growth, right? Um, so those are really, really hard to find, I think. I could probably count on one hand in 15 years, you know, of, of really good growth and low valuation, but boy, you, you got to be always looking for it because when you find it, um, that's when you load up. Um, and it's happened a few times in, in the fund's history. Usually they were asset managers, but it's, it's you know, you have to have an industry that you understand that has that good leverage. Um, that, that's, you run into those, um, you know, micro caps that, that have earning spurts. They really aren't a longevity business. And, and, they just get one good contract and make good money. And then all of a sudden they go back to, to nothing. So you, you're, you're trying to dig through that to just make sure is it something that's, that's got some, some long range because then it can get multiple expansion and things like that. I'd like to take a quick second to tell you about this episode's sponsor, Quarter. Quarter. 
With Quarter, you get frictionless access to conference calls, investor presentations, transcripts, and earnings reports from markets all around the world, straight from your pocket for no cost. Quarter's mission is to change the way people look at investor relations and create a completely new bridge between companies and stakeholders. The first step on this journey is to let you, the user, interact with the company's content while you're listening. Visit your app store of choice and try it out today by searching for Quarter. And that's Q-U-A-R-T-R. Now back to the show. So, so that leads into also kind of your, your research process as we've kind of, you know, you've talked about, you've mentioned, and we've even joked about a little bit. You like looking <laughs> at some of the unlisted, weird, illiquid, yeah. highly illiquid stuff, um, which I'm going to definitely get to uh, another question about that when it comes to the fun construction and all that kind of stuff. But, but on the research side of things, you know, what are, how do you start? Where do you go? What are some of the things you look for? Getting in touch with management, you know, love, let's, let's hear it. Yeah, it's not as exciting or as as straightforward as people think. Like, I don't just, you know, oh, I just run this screen and then I choose these and I dig into that. And I've never been able to screen successfully and, and find stuff. It's, it's just scrounging, um, I guess is the best word. Um, whether I'm perusing, you know, Twitter at, with the right people to follow that, that throw out ideas that, you know, I, it's, that's a great world for someone who, who loves putting stuff out on Twitter that, that has a small personal account because they'll, they'll max out and then they want to tell you about it and, and stuff. So, but when, and for years past, it was message boards, it was corner of Berkshire and Fairfax, wherever, you know, it keeps changing though of where I go. Some of them was like, no, I don't even go there anymore. You know, who goes to whatever, I don't know. There used to be so many message boards and we don't go to those anymore, but always trying to find a new place that can just source ideas where someone's going, yeah, I like this. And, um, you know, I'll spend time, a lot of time on OTC markets, you know, and just looking at news and, and filings and clicking on the filing and go garbage, garbage, you know, you know, it's like, Oh, you got a billion shares outstanding at 0.00, uh, garbage, you know, um, you know, and, and things like that, looking for like, oh, that's that's interesting, you know, in terms of just share count, earnings, you know, what's going on, you know, um, and and that usually then launches. Um, so that's a big part of it. And I've found the beauty of microcaps is you just keep going back to the, the ones you've owned before. They just kind of sometimes they're high valuation and they move to a low over, over five, 10 years and you're back to owning them. And, and I love them the best because I'm less likely to make a mistake because I've known it for you know a decade or more. Absolutely. Actually, this leads into one of our one of the first Twitter questions I'm going to ask you. I'm going to try and mix them in as uh, sure. depending on the topic. Um, this was asked by at Rice Park Trees. Uh, you kind of answered the first part of his question or their question. Uh, how many microcaps is Tim screening in a given three month period? Kind of answered that question right there. But um, the, the second part of his comment was, uh, I mean, the volume of rocks you've, uh, you're turning over to find the gem uh, rocks. He is turning over to find the gems. And once you find a potential gem, how much time do you put in talking with management, customers, competitors to get a sense of the business? That's a good question. No, it, it is. It's a good question. There's not a specific number. You do try to turn over whatever, whatever it is. I mean, it's going to vary. There's, there's stretches where I'm doing tons of research there's stretches where it's like man i haven't really dug into a stock in a while um or found anything good in a while it can be weeks and months you know um you know so there's not a specific number what may surprise people is i'm not on the edge of the this kind of 
a spectrum, I guess. In, in old time circles, in value circles, it's the Walter Schloss that's, Schloss that's much more numerical. Even though I'm not diversified, like he would have 40, 50 positions, I have fewer positions, but I, I don't necessarily reach out to management. I don't, I've never called a customer, um, actually, I don't think, um, you know, um, I, I don't spend that time um, doing that. I don't need to, I don't, I don't know that I would say it's not like you couldn't derive a huge benefit. I know some investors that they call me and I'm like, yeah, you know more about this than I do, or, you know, about Solotron. And they'll be like, I'm like, you talk to our, our, our supplier or, our, you know, a vendor, or you talk to a customer, how are you, are you calling Raytheon and they're going to talk to you, but um, they'll dig into that level. Um, you know, I don't, don't really need to, um, if, if there's that much me of, of where I don't understand it, then it's in the too hard pile already, you know? So it tends to be in industries. It's like, I don't need to call, in the oil and gas industry, the supplier or that, I need to know where where it is, what's the the, the you know the well life and things like that. I don't I don't need to know who's buying it or whatever. It's a commodity, or I don't know you know I don't you know the community bank. I'm not calling the management or, or different things like that. Um, so very little on that end for me. Gotcha. No, it's it's cool to hear. I mean, yeah. I find that fascinating, that answer, quite frankly, because of, you know, the types of stocks that you look at, you would, you would think like that if anybody is doing that, it's probably you or, you know, you know, that that's super interesting. Um, But, and then actually my next question was going to be, and this, this actually uh, was another uh, Twitter question that came in through DMs. I don't want to give their, their, their handle, but um, it it was similar to what I was going to ask about uh, how, how do you think about managing liquidity in, of the portfolio? Especially since you look at all, you know, a lot of, a lot of these very illiquid names. Yeah, and and I and I have a fairly illiquid portfolio. I mean, it, it has to be a reflection of the nature of your investors. If if you don't think your if your investors are coming in and coming out, or you know, um, my the number of redemptions in my fund is really low on a given year. Um, to where, if if I'm five or ten percent cash, I'm fine. I don't you know need to have massive liquidity because I don't tend to have that. And, and you got to know that. And um, so I'm quite comfortable. Yeah. In things um, I, I do. I mean, I have some calculations that look at average volume. How long would it take me to get in or out of that? And I find out usually those aren't very accurate because it's, it's past looking. And what makes me want to get out of it is suddenly some event changes. Um, I found like I can buy something over days and sometimes it takes months to get out of. And that's, that's very, very frustrating or challenging, but you just have to be that patient about it. Um, it is one thing where I, it's, it's probably why I'm probably quick to, to sell when there's good news and a stock pops or different things. It's like, oh, and there's suddenly liquidity. Even if I'm not sure, I tend to, 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 to sell into it a bit, start to reduce the position, one, because it's, it's worked a little bit, but two, it's like there's liquidity there. I should probably take it. Um, it, it it's an art. I, I haven't you know, made mistakes where all of a sudden I'm like, oh, no, I, I need to, to use margin or anything to deal with a, a redemption. I haven't had that. Um, but so, yeah, and if it's a personal portfolio for somebody, it's like you got to know what your financial needs are so you don't put yourself in that bind. Um, the classic buy on rumor or well, buy on extreme due diligence and then sell on news. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a, a lot of that. Yeah, yeah. No, um, and then another, they actually sent in a, a couple more questions that are, that, that are really good here. He, um, have you had success finding ass in the expert market? 
Finding asks. Finding asks. It was in quotations. Um, I assume they mean, have I been able to find some screaming bargains in the expert market because it, we expected it to dry everything up? Yes. It, you know, it just, it hasn't materialized that way in, in a significant amount. A lot of the stuff that I was, man, I'm hoping I can get that 25 or 50% off or it's like, yeah, a few hundred shares sometimes sell at like a penny and, and you have some weird trade. And then you look and you're like, oh, so the person made $27 or something. You're like, that's not what I'm looking for. You know, I want, I want to be able to buy in size um, at a discount. And I would say to date, I haven't been able to find significant. I mean, there's things that are the same price as two or three years ago, you know, that, that I've been able to buy, um, but not screaming bargains. No, it's kind of disappointed in that sense, um, but still hopeful. <laughs> Keep trying. For sure. Hey, listen, it's not like you don't have the network to be to to of folks that are out there digging with you to to help find them either. So uh yeah, yeah and, I, and I'm not alone. There's enough other yeah. people and people that have that have access to that expert market through through the right um smaller brokers um and, and funds and stuff. It, it's a competitive environment. There's a lot of the people trying to do this. So hundred percent. And then uh, last question from, from this DM. Uh, do you think a microcap strategy is appropriate for institutional LPs? I don't know if they mean like a microcap strategy in general or your microcap strategy, but maybe you speak to both. Oh, of course mine is. <laughs> uh, yes. Large sums. Um, you know, that's the thing. Cause it, it, it's like, I don't know how you could really have a decent microcap strategy once you're above a hundred million dollars of of allocations. So is it appropriate? Yeah, I think it's appropriate. It's certainly a niche where you can make more, um, but you probably grow out of it. A lot of the hedge fund managers grow out of it. So, so would the, the, the institutional money. Um, but when they're a smaller family office and stuff, I, I would, if they were just asking my advice, they certainly allocate, you know, to that. Um, but you'll find there's a lot of overlap. I mean, you, you've talked to, to Dave Waters and, and it's like, I'm like, Dave, and, and I was like, yeah, I own that. I own that. I own that. You know, it's like, we can go, you know, on, on American U S stocks. It's like, yep. You know, we, we may have 40% overlap or something, you know, it, it's, there's a lot of people in the same fishing in the same waters. It seems like waters. Anyway. Absolutely. Well, um, those are some those are some really good questions that came in. Um, yeah. So my next question is, and actually, the, uh, it, it has to do with some of your investing experiences, um, especially more recently as an activist. Um, well, I, I guess by recently, I guess six years. Um, but um, and and actually, uh, at Ben Bakshi on on Twitter asked the same uh, the same question I was about to ask about. You know, how has your experience as an activist helped guide you uh, when you're looking at stocks? Um, wow. Uh, it's a good one. It's a good one. I, there, I, I think there's a lot of things you, you, you pick up on and you, you learn in the sense of when, when can activism even matter? When can persuasion even matter? And looking at, at, at when there's a controlling shareholder, which a lot of small microcaps have controlling shareholders and, and when, and we always think we overestimate our ability either in activism or persuasion to be able to, to gain improvements and realizing that, no, they're not really even open to that. You know, it, it's a lot more family run or just run based on their philosophy and they can't think outside that box. Um, but so it's like important to me to be able to 
ask the right questions or probe that to kind of know, okay, this isn't going to change, you know? So if I'm valuing it, I got to understand that this is not something that has that possibility of a catalyst changing it in a short period of time. You know, this is going to run the way it's run and it's probably going to get handed off to the next generation and the next generation. It's like, I always look to see is, okay, there's a CEO owns 53%. Is this son or daughter working there? You know what I mean? It's the first thing I look for is, is somebody being groomed that's keeping this because you love to find, no, none of the kids are interested, which usually means when the CEO is older, it's going to get sold. So you kind of have a, a termin termination date there that, that's, that's helpful. And then the closer you get to that, then you could actually have be buying really close to some catalyst. So, so there's the activism ties into that, um, you know, but that that's the only connection I would make. Absolutely. I mean, do you when you're when you're looking at potential ideas? I mean, do you think to yourself when you're looking at potential one, you're like, you know, maybe I might you know, be a, I, I forgot who I, I'm blanking on who I interviewed when uh, we talked about the idea of uh, suggestivism versus activism. Um, uh, when, when we're, you know, especially with microcaps, because, you know, when you're operating at your level with some of these other fund managers, like, you know, they, these management teams tend to listen a lot more um, to what you have to say. But I mean, when you're looking at potential new investment, do you think to yourself like, oh, I, I think I, you know, do, do you have this urge to want to be more suggestivist or activist, you know, like, you know, looking at Sol Solatron or with FarmCam and stuff like that? I wish I didn't, but I, I, there's a side of me and I don't want to get into the psychology of it or whatever. There's a side of me that just hates the bad actors, I guess, that I, I that I think are bad actors that are, that are, doing things they shouldn't do if they're not holding meetings or, or whatever, different things that just, I don't, I, I you know, I kind of want to see them removed because they give a bad name on the industry um, and on microcaps. So there's kind of a, I don't know if you want to call it like a righteous indignation or just something that, that just gets under my skin. And, and, um, but um, yeah, it, it, it so then it does, it starts to color things. I, I, I much prefer to look at something on its own merits saying, I don't have to do anything and I can just ride the quality of this business than me having to get involved. Getting involved now has taught me how much I have to get involved. If I can't just do it with suggestive, it, it's, it's frankly way too much work <laughs> for not that much more return. You know what I mean? It's kind of like you want to find the easier thing. You know, you, you learn the, the Munger wisdom. You know, he used to interact with, with Buffett on, you're do, like, you're doing it the hard way. Or, you know what I mean? Munger's like, find the great business and just sit on your ass. <laughs> this kind of thing. And that's that's what he would say. And there's it, it truth to that is, is why do it the hard way where you got to go in and do all the, the stuff. So. For sure. I mean, and I guess to be fair with that, it's like, look, if we're going to hunt micro caps, though, at the same time, like you almost you kind of, it's like, it's hard. It's, yeah. it's, it's hard not to, because there's always hair, you know? No, it, it is. Yeah. But, uh, you know, let, let's go through, let, let's do a little story time. 
You know, because uh, we, we, yeah, I like story time. You like story time. We grew up with story time. Sure. Tell our kids story time. Um, <laughs> and there's a lot of lessons that can be learned from story time. So, you know, I, in prep for today, you know, I, I went through, you know, uh, some of the letters that you put out there and, uh, you know, we, one, one, one story that stuck out to me because I don't think I've ever seen this on a letter. Um, maybe I'm just not reading enough, but I, I, I it stood out to me was uh, when you're talking about your experience with, uh, with, uh, Tix Corp. Uh, T-I-X-C and uh, how you like straight up said like management just sucked, (laughs) but, but, but it was still a core holding for years, you know, and you said in the letters how like, even while you're still a core holder, like management sucks, you know, like I'd love to hear some of those lessons that you learned from that experience and like why you just kept holding what we were holding out hope that they magically changed their minds. Like, I'd love to hear about that. Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't, you know, holding out hope that they would suddenly change. I was holding out hope that that shareholders would bring about change. You know, which was tried to do there, and and they ended up with a split board. So it it almost happened, but didn't quite happen. Um, and then COVID just destroyed the business in a way, um, temporarily. Because yeah, there's there's a long story back in there too. Uh, but anyways, yeah. So I mean, you at least I'm willing to own stocks that are run by what people I would consider unscrupulous, untrustworthy, you know, bad actors, um, you know, and, and willing to work through that, especially if I think there's a chance for change or that there's, you know, there's a chance for suggestive and pressure, whether it's full on activism or not. Um, It's, yeah. I mean, a lot of people just don't want to do that. They don't find it enjoyable to own something, but that's what makes the valuation usually even more attractive. So it's funny that I get emotional about the bad actor in a, in a way, but on the other hand, I'm not emotional about, oh, I'm fine to own that. You know? <laughs> and people are like, how could you own that? You know, I don't know. I'm fine. It, it, I have a weird disconnect maybe. Um, Right. Because in that situation, it was, mo- well, I mean, if I remember correctly, it was mostly just, a, 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 it was taking excessive fees, right? It wasn't a management compensation, which just not, it was just ridiculous. Yeah, you had the, the you know, kind that. of 600 grand earnings while you're living in a different state and, and probably not that deeply involved where you already have a 300 grand COO running the business. It didn't really make any sense. You know, then that ended up with a lot of other things as, as myself and, and Jeff Graham at Bandera tried to do an equity infusion and, and we made a higher offer, yet the board took a lower offer from the CEO, um, all kinds of things that were just, you know, awful, um, you know, but then they ended up in bankruptcy and Jeff and myself and Heron Bakta and someone else bought it out of bankruptcy. So we now own it and, and um, at least a smaller part of it, a uh, smaller piece. So. That's super that that's super interesting. I mean, I feel like that there's a, quite a bit of that in microcap where you believe in the underlying business or technology, and yet it's just being run by uh, you know F management, you know to say the least. Do you have any other experiences like that where you know then it did ultimately work out where they did uh, you know it was just a simple change in management, maybe a few board directors, and then ultimately you know that 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 value was realized. Um, sure. I mean, although a lot of times, yeah, a lot of times it's, it's like, it's the market, it, it, it spurts. And, and if you got out at the right time, it, it worked out and then kind of the business goes back into a struggle or, or whatever. Um, but you know, we were able, we've been able to do activism, um, 
Dan Zeff did activism at, at TSR where I'm on the board um, and, and brought about changes there. And, and that's done well over the last, you know, the two, three years that we've been on the board there. Um, you know, a lot of times you just find you, you didn't get what you thought you got. You know, Solitron, we thought we were getting control of a much better business. I mean, it's yes, it's up, but it, it, it never it hasn't even yet been what I wanted it to be or what I thought it was when I first got involved. So, yeah, there it's it, it can happen. You can see change. Um, I, I don't keep them on the top of my head where I can just answer. Oh, here's one where, you know, CEO change and, and you know, activism change and it, and it did all this. Um but I know it happens all the time, um, you know, and, and stuff that I came into later. I mean, even, even um, you know, a lot of the stuff that Robert Alpert and, and Clark Webb have done with, with, with P10 Holdings and, and other Globalscape and stuff before that, a lot of that, they, they had to do a little bit of suggestive activism or come in and kind of take control without necessarily doing proxy fights. And, um, you know, you find the right people that can do that and you just like to to ride their coattails, <laughs> you find people smarter than you, you know, you learn from them and you, you milk them for what they can do. For sure. Well, this also leads into my, my, another question I, that actually came in uh, via DM um, about one of uh, uh, more recent uh, activism uh, campaigns that, uh, that, that you were involved in. Um, and they, they wrote in, uh, they'd love to hear some detailed Q and A about uh, the farm chem. Um, okay. um, interested to hear the backstory of how you got involved and, and then what led to the recent final, just, we'll start there, how you got involved and what was interesting about it. Yeah. I mean, you know, farm chem was, it is probably something I, I'm pretty sure I saw on Twitter, um, you know, back when it was maybe a dollar stock or something and, and bought it and made a quick 30, 40% thought I was really smart and then realized I was an idiot because I sold it and it was worth way more than what I sold it for. It wasn't just about the quick game. But so then I, over time, it started buying a little bit more, following it significantly more um, and just came to the, you know, you, you, you kind of then start to see that there's a very deep value shareholder base there. And I realized like, you know, this there's, they just need a nudge, you know, it's like, it, it it's, Cash is building up and, and, and needs kind of an outsider watching um, what's going on. So I'm like, you know, I think I'll just, you know, it's it's an OTC, so it didn't have SEC filing. So I think I can run run myself as like a board member pretty inexpensively here um, and, and go through that process. So then I, I had sent in the notification to do that. And then I don't even know how it came about, but then I found out I didn't know Tice Brown at the time and found out that Tice had sent in a notification for where I had just done one seat. He had done two seats and it was like, well, there was only three seats on the board. And it's like, I don't think I've ever seen a three proxy, three-way proxy battle with different things. And it would make no sense for us to compete against each other. You know? So it was like, well, why don't we just, is there anything that prevents us from working together? And you check with lawyers like, no, you're like, Oh, okay, then let's just agree to work together and solicit proxies together. Um, so we're able to kind of go in, change the board. Um, you know, then you just, you, you get under the hood and, and find out what's going on and, and different things. And, and I don't know. Um, so you, you start making certain changes and trying some, some things to improve, you know, revenue and, and stuff. So it's, been a challenge. Um, it, it's not been what we thought in terms of we thought it had a stronger tailwind to the business. Um, it, it was kind of had a good COVID spurt and then kind of slowed a bit. 
Um, so it, you know, working through that, trying to figure out how do you get a business to grow? And that's where you learn a lot because you think it, it, it's somewhat easy and it's like, it's just like there, it's like, you can't make uh, some probation department choose, you know, a patch over urine test or hair test and, and you can't control their funding, which, you know, results in how much they can test and then the cost of each and comparison. And then do they really want to know? Is a whole other ball game in, in, in certain things with courts and certain certain jurisdictions. It's like I don't they don't seem to really want to know that someone's still using it and stuff. But um, so. got it. And there, there he had a couple more questions uh, from from uh, on this. Uh, you know, uh, on farm chem, what led to the recent financing not getting completed, and what is the plan to grow and maintain the business? You know, from from what you can tell us. Uh, the, the press releases addressed that in terms of, you know, the, the, in terms of the change in the business, um, you know, we, we had signed a contract where we thought we were going to get a, a large customer that might increase revenues, you know, 10% or more. Um, and then that didn't materialize to, to any orders. We thought it would be large, so then it didn't materialize at all. So we're like, okay, well, we have a disclosure related to that. And, and, um, we thought, okay, we'll just let them know and we can just kind of delay this, you know, um, and we had a few other things come about that if you, you, you read through all the, there's a lot of rules and restrictions when you do a, 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 the debt offering like that, um, whether you do any reorgs internally management, just different things that, that, that are, that are limited, you know, um, so we had a few things we just thought, this is, we just want to make sure we're clear of if this is what's going on. And they're like, yeah, we need to we can't just delay it. We have to pull it. And we were like, Oh, we didn't expect that, but um, it, it was what it was. So we had, we had thought, you know, we kind of had strong, stable business potential for upside. It made sense to do a buyback now. Um, even if you use borrowed funds, you're basically just pre-buying, you know, a year from now at whatever the interest rate is, say whatever, say you're buying at $4 a share and you have, you're borrowing at nine, Four dollars times nine percent. You're buying basically next year's shares already at four thirty-six, and a couple of years out, and then paying that off. We thought that made some sense, um, you know. But the, the business kind of hit a little bit of a bump, and, and it is what it is. As you work through that, businesses do that, which you know, like in spreadsheets, you don't see that in real life. You do see that, you know, you have bumps, and you got to work through it. And, and how do you grow it, you know? Because um, growth is a huge factor in valuation of anything. Um, with the absence of growth or a slight shrinkage, your valuation is definitely going to be a single-digit multiple. You know, so you need that growth to to have that higher valuation and, and value of the business, right? Absolutely. So, so that's what we're striving to get there, and going to work it work our tails off to get it there, and then along the way, do good capital allocation and and hope it works out the best for investors, which the board's a significant percentage of that thirty, I don't know, thirty seven, thirty eight percent of the gotcha. shares outstanding, I think, are owned by the board. Gotcha. So, I mean, of, of, you know, we've talked through a few stories already. I mean, what, what would you say of, of all the investing stories that you've gone through? And, you know, I may even be ones that we talked about already, but what would you say is an investing experience that taught you the most and, and maybe guided how you really think about, you know, when you analyze a potential new investment? Wow. You're just asking hard questions. No wonder I don't do these things very often. Um, what taught me the most? I'm kind of a reflective person. So for me to try to answer off the cuff of what taught me the most. Um, 
I'm sure there's there's positive and negative. I mean, there's there's certainly investments. Um, you know, that didn't turn out that taught me a lot. Yeah, I think you learn more on the, on the losses because they're a little more painful of of what you missed, um, what you know, what risk factor. You know, um, I know it's probably seven eight years that you know whether it's. Uh, you know, I had two things that were oil related, a Wilco, which a lot of people were, were, were buying that had um, platforms off of, uh, you know, up in, in off of, of, off the UK, um, North Sea area and stuff like that, that, that would, but it was very oil dependent. And you just didn't realize, wow, when the pricing of that commodity changes, the value of that business changed. I mean, a lot of people found that out when they've invested in shipping because um, they go, oh, look at the day rates of these shippers and this or that. And all of a sudden it's like, yeah, in a year from now, it's one fifth of that. And your valuation just plummets. And, and um, you know, so it, it happens on submersible rigs and just a lot of different things that are that that really have this volatility in pricing um, of, of the, how long those contracts last. So they, they create a lot of cash, but then all of a sudden they burn a lot of cash. Um, so you, you learn, wow, I didn't know the business as well as I thought. Um, and you learn painfully so. Um, you know, um, but then there's things you learn on the upside of, of the, just the, the little factors you're looking for, you know, that, um, I don't know. I can go on. on. I mean, the, the, I can think of a recent mistake was I, I sold P10 way early because I read the press release and I was reading it like with a fine tooth comb. And I'm like, there was something where I thought they said it would grow EBITDA, but they didn't say EBITDA per share. You know what I mean? And I'm like, oh, you left out a key phrase because everything to me is about per share. You've got to be growing cash flow per share. Don't just tell me you grew cash flow. You could do that and dilute me. You know, so I took it as, oh, this may not be as great of an acquisition as their prior one. So suddenly I'm selling this stock at three or four dollars that then goes to seven, eight, ten dollars. And I was, oops, you know, where probably if I picked up the phone and talked to management, they would kind of go, oh, we didn't recognize that we made a wording change or you know, they, they, they wouldn't, they would have been able to kind of straighten that out. Um, so there, there is certainly benefit to, to talking to management at times. Um, and that sure. would be like a lesson learned. It, but at the same time there, like, you know, look, you have your criteria, like it, let's say you found that and it ended up being a loser. You're like, oh, 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 glad I found that. I mean, other, otherwise, you know, so, you know, you, on that, you, you, yeah, there's the opportunity cost of what you could have gotten, but at the same time, I'm sure there's, there is one, one that will happen or one that has happened where you did the same thing. And you're like, oh, phew, thank God I sold that when I did. Yeah. Not saying to that example specifically, but like, I'm sure there's other things that you found that, right. like, you know, that having to do yeah. with your criteria. Um, so one, my, one last question on story time. Um, I mean, is there, is there any that we've missed that, uh, cause listen, I, I want to make sure, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm doing a service for our audience that follows you very closely and, you know, everything that you do out there. Sorry. I mean, are there any other, you know, good, you know, fun stories or interesting stories that, 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 you know, you were participant in that, uh, you know, folks on here are like, oh, come on, Bob, make sure you, he, he talks about this. <laughs> no. No, no. <laughs> there's, there's, nothing, there's nothing exciting. No, I, I don't know. I don't. I, uh, nothing pops off the top of my head. Of, you know, probably what I thought was important may, may not have been to them, but no, sorry. <laughs> no, I mean, 
I, I might, if something I, comes up, they can. I'll put on the same shirt, and, they, and you can just ask the question, and I'll act like we just tie it in. Oh, perfect, no problem. I'll, I'll make I'll make sure I, I take a screenshot so I know. Keep what your I, beard the same. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, it, you know, I, I I have to ask also, like right now, you know, we're dealing with the you know inflationary environment. We're seeing the Fed hike. You know, I, I mean, how, how are you? You know, we're recording this on uh, June twentieth, or sorry, June twenty first, and you know, how are you thinking about? you know, your own portfolio, what you're doing. I mean, are you, are you hunting right now? You know, love, love to hear where your thoughts are. Um, always. Um, I'm not, I largely ignore the macro. Um, I, I, I spend a good quality three or four minutes on it, you know, a week maybe. Um, it, it's just, I mean, yeah, you kind of want to have a, a sense of what's going on, but um, if anything that I'm trying to buy is really, going to vary in, in how I value it based on a few percentage points of inflation or something in related to GDP or GMP, whatever, then I'd not, you know, um, I mean, I do, I do follow it. I would say though, I do follow it in relation to banks. Cause I mean, it, it can be a huge deal for, for banks. You don't want to have interest rates go up and suddenly their cost of deposits be 4% and they have a bunch of 3% mortgages on their books. Then this is going to look like the SNL crisis of, of the 80s and stuff. So there are certain things where it, where it really matters. Um, but for the most part, it's like I've, I've always followed that agnostic approach of, of whatever it is it's doing, look for bargains when I find them, buy them, and not really worry about the other. I don't want to sit on my hands because I'm worried about what inflation is. Um, I mean, do I have an opinion on it? Sure. Do I tend to I mean, not that it matters. I'm probably in the, the transitory camp of it's more fuel oil related and that that'll likely settle down um, along with just, you know, government spending has been dialed back and, and all that. So I, I tend to wouldn't shock me if they over overreact being behind the times. It's just I, I personally expect, you know, the economy to slow. And but does it, it doesn't really factor in anything I'm buying. Um, so very good. All right. Well, you know, look, you've spent, uh, I've taken up enough of your time, uh, between, uh, our, our interview on, uh, Solatron and then, and then here today. So, you know, to close this out here, what, what advice do you have, uh, for folks that might just be dipping their toe into microcap investing or just, you know, wanting to learn more as to how they can be the next Tim Erickson? Well, you had me until the end there. Uh, well, one, one, be yourself. You, you have to understand who you are, your own emotions, your own um, things. Don't try to, to replicate somebody else. Everybody's going to be slightly different. They might be more growthy. They might be more book value oriented, hard assets, end of the spectrum. Um, they may even be much more growthy and be able to do that uh, and, and handle higher valuations and things like that. Or leverage or different things. Um, but I, I mean, it's, it's, to me, I still think it's, it's the elemental, elemental stuff should be the same fundamental stuff of learn, learn accounting, read financial reports. It's not about reading blogs or message boards may give you a, a ticker and an idea, but it's about, you know, really learning business, learning what they're saying, learning what operating leverage there is in the business you know, being careful when you're buying something that loses money, it'll tend to still lose money and, and that probably won't work out. So are you buying a story or are you buying 
something that's solid. And I, I guess I kind of look at things a lot like as if, I mean, I'm buying a business. I'm buying, or like I'm buying real estate. I care about cash flows. I wouldn't buy a condo because I think, I don't know, or it's gone up 20% each of the last three years. Therefore, I'm buying the condo. It's like, what, what, is, what is the rent cash flow on this versus what I'm paying? That, that's how only way I think. Not I'm because I'm going to be probably wrong on what I think it, it could keep going up. Ultimately, it's only going to go up what the cash flows do. I mean, that shouldn't that won't stay disconnected very long. So focus on cash flows, on reasonable returns. What should that business be valued at? Learn how each is different in their own unique way, because um, every industry is different because of their capital expenditures and different things. Just just begin to get that business knowledge and apply it. Um, that that's would be my thing. And, and I guess secondly, to have a really long answer is start with what you know, whatever your passion is, um, whatever, you know, if you're not in the financial world, but you're in tech or you're in, I don't know, automotive or something, you have an advantage there. Go use that advantage in, in, in that little niche and, and learn about it. Right. I mean, it was the, you know, the, whatever the, the, the cryptocurrency guy is the one who should have seen that the, the high demand for NVIDIA's part product or whatever, and that how that was going to make that stock go up because, you know, everybody needed it to, to mine for crypto or whatever. You know I mean? It, it's those type of things that, that someone really deeply involved is going to catch earlier. Um, so you can use that. That's Very my good. two cents and it's worth what you paid for it, people. <laughs> it's free. No. <laughs> so Tim, with that, where can our audience go and find more information uh, to follow you, to, to learn more about your fund, you know, close us out there. Um, I mean, I'm on Twitter, Erickson underscore Tim, uh, my fund. Well, it's called Cedar Creek Partners. It's under the management company's name of Erickson Capital Management. And it's, I think it's ericksoncapitalmgmt.com. Um, but if not, if you look up Erickson Capital Management, you should be able to find that. And the investor letters for the last five or six years are there if somebody finds that helpful um, and just more about it. So. Very good. All right. Well, Tim, thank you so much for joining me today. I really do appreciate it. Good luck. Stay safe. I look forward to our next update. All right. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Bob. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Podcast.